good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys here. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving with your families this year. I hope you ate too much. I know I did. And uh, really good to be with you guys as we're beginning a brand new series today that we're calling The Thrill of Hope. And if, uh, as you can tell from our bumper and all the decorations, this is our Christmas series. And so this is a great time to do a Christmas series, right? Because now that Thanksgiving is officially over, uh, Christmas is in full swing. So it is full-blown Christmas now. The lights are up. The shopping is on. My guess is that many of you have the tree up in the house. The neighborhood is starting to look a little bit more like Christmas. And so it's on, man. It's full-blown Christmas now. And I know, at least it seems like in my lifetime, when I remember back uh, throughout the years, it seems like, and I might be wrong about this, but it seems like there was always this unspoken rule um, growing up that you weren't officially allowed to start celebrating Christmas until the day after Thanksgiving. At least, I don't know if that's a thing or not, but it seemed like it was a thing when I grew up. But anymore, it seems like earlier and earlier and earlier, Christmas is just starting to be, be, be celebrated much earlier. And I know that many of you guys have said that yourselves. I've heard many people um, say that. In fact, this year in particular, it seems like it was like Halloween. And then the day after, it was just like Christmas. I remember my wife and I, I think we were in Kohl's or Target or one of those stores, and we were back in the, the holiday section there, and they had all the Halloween stuff. It was late October, and they had all the Halloween stuff out, and right next to all the Halloween stuff was all the Christmas stuff. And I was like, man, isn't that kind of early for that to happen? It just seems like earlier and earlier and earlier we want to start celebrating Christmas. I think pretty soon it's going to be like, you know, hey, happy 4th of July and uh, Merry Christmas. It just seems like it gets earlier and earlier and earlier. But I think the reason that happens... Well, partly is because it's a money-making opportunity. But I think the other reason that that happens is because there is something that our culture really loves about Christmas. Um, there is no denying it. There's something really special about Christmas. And in our culture, we really get into the whole Christmas thing. We celebrate it for an entire month. Many of us, we don't just have one Christmas celebration. We have several over the span of December and early January. We love Christmas. We get into Christmas. It's easily the most anticipated holiday that our culture celebrates. And I think that, again, one of the reasons that happens is because it's, just, it's such an amazing um, holiday that carries with it such a thrill of hope. And our culture really, really likes Christmas, and I'm no exception to that. I love Christmas. Absolutely love it. My family and I, we totally get in on the whole Christmas thing. And so this past Friday, Thanksgiving was over, and it's become a tradition for us. I know some of you like to go out and do the Black Friday thing and fight the crowds and all that kind of stuff. I'm not really into that. And so my wife and I, what we like to do on, on uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving has kind of become a tradition, is we get the, the family together, we get the kids, we put on some Christmas tunes, and then we get the boxes out of the basement and we start setting up the house for Christmas. Any, anyone else do that? We do that the Friday after after some, a couple of you guys, we get all this stuff out of the basement. And so we get the tree and we set it up and you guys know how it goes, right? Every box that you open has ornaments and has decorations and it takes you twice as long to unpack that box because each decoration has a memory attached to it. And you have to relive that memory and talk about it. And, and, and look, there's just, there's no denying it. There is a thrill to Christmas. There's a thrill of excitement. Uh, there's a thrill of nostalgia. There's a thrill of hope that we have. There's something really exciting about it. We think about the celebrations and the family. We think about the food and the food and the food, right? We think about that. We think about the gifts that kind of come along with it. We think about getting out of school for a little bit of time. We think about the semester ending. Thank God, praise God, hallelujah. We think about getting out of work for a little bit of time and there's just a thrill to it all. There's something magical without sounding too corny. There's something magical that kind of comes along with Christmas, and I think there's no denying that there's a thrill about it. However, 
At the same time, while, while Christmas can be so thrilling and so exciting, isn't it true there's another side of Christmas, there's a darker side of Christmas that oftentimes we don't like to talk about? That many of you guys know that Christmas can be, for some people, uh, a time where, where, where many people are more vulnerable to depression uh, than other seasons. And that can be for a lot of different reasons. For some, maybe some of you, maybe you lost someone in your family this year or in past years, and now Christmas is never quite the same because it always evokes memories of what it was like when that person was here. Or maybe for you, your family structure has tra- changed dramatically. And maybe there was a divorce or, or something in the family broke in some way. And now it, you, Christmas can be a time where it's depressing for you. You're more susceptible to kind of what they call the Christmas blues. And so it's kind of the darker side of Christmas. Or there's another phenomenon that happens. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but maybe you've heard people talk about the Christmas hangover. Did you guys ever hear that before? Now, I'm not talking about the hangover that happens if you had too much eggnog. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the hangover that happens the day after Christmas or when you're done celebrating that, that kind of anticlimactic letdown, right? That, that the, 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 the presents are done and the celebrations are done and everything is finished and you just kind of get this sense of, well, I guess that was it. Yeah, it was pretty good this year, I guess. Yeah, just kind of that, 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 that kind of anticlimactic letdown. They call it the Christmas hangover. I don't know if you guys have experienced that phenomenon before. Well, why do those things happen? The Christmas blues and the Christmas hangover. I thought that Matt Chandler, he's actually a, a pastor and author down in Texas. I thought he said it well. He said that one of the reasons he thinks that happens, the Christmas blues and the Christmas hangover, is because unbridled expectations slam into reality. That what can happen during Christmas, if we're not careful, is that unbridled expectations can slam into reality. And I agree with him. Because if you think about it, during the Christmas season, isn't it true that the thrill of hope and the thrill of excitement, that it's easy for us to, for our, to let our expectations go wild? And so we end up having these Clark Griswold-sized expectations, and then they slam into reality, and what we're left with is kind of this feeling of like, well, it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And that happens to all of us. It shows up in many different ways. So for example, one of the ways this shows up for some of us, I think, is we have family expectations, We have expectations about what it's going to be like this year. Everyone's going to get along. It's not going to be like last year when Uncle Da-na-na did the thing, you know. Not going to be like that. Everyone's going to get along. It's going to be peace on earth or at least peace in our living room. And and we're going to put our differences aside just for at least one day, right? And we're going to have Christmas. We have these expectations. I know this is one thing that I'm inclined towards is having these expectations, these unrealistic expectations about what Christmas is going to be like. And sometimes what can happen, if I'm not careful, is I get this, this, this really impossible picture of what Christmas is going to be like for my family. And so I imagine that my kids are going to be perfect, that I'm going to be perfect, and my family is going to be perfect, and everything's going to go smooth. And so in my mind, in my imagination, Christmas morning, right, I wake up, and of course I wake up naturally, nothing wakes me up, which we all know that's not what's going to happen on Christmas morning. So I wake up, and, and then I get up, and all my, you know, my kids are all excited, and I'm excited, and of course I put on my slippers, and I put on my bathrobe, which I don't even own a bathrobe, but in my imagination I do, and we sit down, and I say, children, let's read the Christmas story, and I sit down, and they sit at my feet, and I grab a pipe, and I start reading the Christmas story to my kids, and we talk about it. And at the end of the Christmas story, my wife and I are standing there reading the story. And the kids, of course, are very attentive because they, you know, they want to listen to the Christmas story. And then after I'm done telling the Christmas story, I say, children, are you now ready to receive your presents? And my kids say, no, Father. Jesus is enough for us this year. You can just give our presents to, to the poor, right? And I say, oh, children. And they say, oh, Father. And I say, 
honey, would you make us hot chocolate? And she says, yes, dear. And she comes back with hot chocolate, I'll drink hot chocolate, right? But then what happens is unbridled expectations slam into reality. And Christmas Day comes, and my kids are still my kids, and my family's still my family, and I'm still me. And I'm like, oh, that's right, I forgot about reality. And it crashes in, and that's what can happen sometimes with Christmas, unbridled expectations slam into reality. For some of us, we have that with our family. For sometimes we do that with, for some of us, we do this with gifts, right? We're like, oh, this year, man, I'm going to get that perfect thing. It's going to be awesome. And if I can only, get, if I just get that one gift, then everything is going to be satisfying. But then either you don't get the gift or you get the gift, even worse, you get the gift and realize, ah, that's, I mean, it's great. Just not everything I thought it was going to be. Or for maybe for some of you, you have this thought in your mind, I'm going to give the perfect gift this year. And so I'm willing to wait in line on Black Friday and suffer the crowds and go to Walmart and steal things out of children's hands, you know, and and I'm willing to do that because I really want to get that perfect gift. We have these unbridled expectations. We put our hope in so many things. And then what happens is it crashes into reality. For some of us, some of us have Star Wars expectations. Any Star Wars people in the house today? A couple of you. All right, well, two of you. And, <laughs> but, uh, but the whole Star Wars thing, right? For some of us, we're like, man, it's coming out this year. Last time they tried to continue the Star Wars saga, that's when the whole Jar Jar Binks debacle thing happened. And so for some of us, we're like, man, but this year, this year, George Lucas and the gang are going to get it right. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best movie ever, right? And we have these expectations of what we think is going to happen. And what can happen sometimes is we have these unbridled expectations and then they slam into reality. And when things don't go the way we think, or even worse, when things do go well, we still can find ourselves sometimes, even if the family does get along, even if you do get all the presents you want, even if the Star Wars movie is good, there still is kind of this, man, that was good, I guess, yeah. Now there's always next year that happens. Now, some of you are thinking, that's a terrible way to start a Christmas series, to talk about the, the, the letdown that happens after Christmas. What an awful way to, to start thinking about Christmas. But the reason I bring that up is not because I'm anti-Christmas. Please don't hear me that way because I love Christmas. In fact, I would say that the longer I follow Jesus and the older I get, the more I love Christmas. It's becoming better and better and better for me. And so I'm not saying that because I don't like Christmas. And I'm also not saying that because I'm pessimistic. I don't want you to hear me in that. The reason I'm pointing that out, the Christmas hangover, the Christmas blues, the unbridled expectations that slam into reality is because I believe that that happens for a reason. It happens for a reason. There's a deeper reason why that occurs. And I believe that because it's the beginning of the holiday season, we have an awesome opportunity ahead of us to process through Christmas in a healthy and a helpful way. Because if you're anything like me, years past, sometimes the whole Christmas season goes by and I completely missed kind of the main purpose and, and the heart behind it. So this year, I don't want to miss it. This year, I want us to help. I want to help us. How do we process through Christmas in a healthy and helpful way? And how do we help avoid the Christmas blues? How do we help avoid the Christmas hangover? Or at least, how do we help understand it, right? I think this series is going to help us with that. Now, let me just say from the very beginning as we begin this series that today is just going to be an introduction, So this is just an introduction. And so if at the end of the time today, if you're like, hey, I have more questions than I do answers, or if you feel like maybe there's some stuff that's left unresolved, or at the end of our talk, if you're like, man, I wish we would have dug a little deeper into this, that, or the other thing, let me just tell you that's okay because this is just an introduction. And so my hope is to whet your appetite and kind of tee up the big idea that we want to spend the rest of the weeks unpacking. 
All right, so that's what I want to do today. So it's just an introduction. And so to, to kind of tee up the big idea that we're going to be journeying through for the next several weeks, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles if you have them, and I want you to go to Colossians chapter 2. So that's what we're going to look at today, Colossians chapter 2. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and flip there. And let me just also say that if you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, that is not a problem. We actually have some for you. They should be in the chairs in front of you. You can just grab one of those black Bibles there, turn to page 822. So we're going to find Colossians chapter 2, so go ahead and flip there. And I'll also say that if you're a guest with us this morning, if this is your first time here, thanks so much for being here. If you don't own a Bible, like if you just flat out don't have one, um, could you do me a favor and just take one of ours? All right, make it a gift from us to you, put your name in it, and you can walk out the front door with that. The security team will not tackle you. Um, you can have that. Merry Christmas. This is a gift from us to you. We think you having a Bible is really important, so you can have that. Um, and let me also say that if you're a smartphone or a tablet person, you can also access Colossians chapter 2 that way. We actually have an app here. Grace Church has an app. So if you go to the app store and you, uh, you look for Grace Ohio, you will find our app, and then you click on the Medina East Campus, and you can access today's conversation and previous sermons as well. Okay, so Colossians chapter 2, however you want to get there, you can get there. And just to make sure we all have it in front of us, I will also put it on the screen, all right? So, so we're going to look at Colossians 2, one way or the other, all right? So because this is an introduction, we're just going to look at two verses today. That's it, just two verses, because I believe these verses uh, have so much content in them um, that, uh, that two verses is all we need to kind of tee up this whole conversation. So let's t- take a look at these together. We're going to start in verse 16 and 17. And so let's read these. Here it is. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Two verses, very simple. In fact, we have enough time here today that I think it would be beneficial for us if we want to get our hearts and minds around this to read it one more time. So let's read it again, and we'll just keep the verses up there on the screen. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All right, so let's just keep those verses up there for a minute. Now, let me, let me just give you a little context to why those two verses were written, all right? So the Apostle Paul, many of you guys might know this, the Apostle Paul was the man who wrote the book of Colossians. What the Apostle Paul basically was, he was an apostle, which meant that he went around teaching people the good news about Jesus. He was, uh, he was very involved in church planting all throughout the ancient world. And so the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church in a region called Colossae. Now, the reason that the Apostle Paul wrote these two verses, what's behind it, was a circumstance that the people in Colossae were facing. And so basically, what was happening in in the city of of, uh, Colossae was that there was a group of Jewish leaders who basically were trying to persuade and teach people that the way in which that you you gained approval by God, the way in which you gained favor, uh, God's favor and the way in which you were made right with God. So another way to put it is uh, the way in which you're saved, these Jewish leaders would teach, was through religious adherence. And so you had to be really, 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 really good at keeping the rules. And if you could keep the rules, then God would approve you. Then you would be accepted by God. And if you couldn't keep the rules, then you would be rejected by God. That's what these Jewish leaders were teaching. 
right? Now, many of you know that uh, in Judaism, even to this day, the law that they practice is the law of the Old Testament. And the law in the Old Testament included a lot of things. It included the Ten Commandments, for sure, but it also included things like dietary restrictions. And so Jewish people, even to this day, will practice dietary restrictions. There are some things that are kosher to eat, and there's some things that are not kosher to eat. There are some things that you can drink, and there are some things that you can't drink. There's dietary restrictions that God commanded the Israelites, the Jewish people, in the Old Testament. In addition to that, in the Old Testament, God also commanded his people to observe different festivals and activities and celebrations. And so, for example, God commanded his people to practice the Passover feast, the Passover festival. He commanded his people to practice something called the celebration of lights. He commanded them to practice the new moon celebration. He commanded them to practice the Sabbath. And so God would command his people, the Jewish people, to practice these religious um, holidays, I guess you could say. He would command them to do that as a way of commemorating things that he had done for them in the past. And so again, here's what's happening. These Jewish leaders are coming in to the city of Colossae and they're saying, listen, Sure, Jesus Christ died for your sins, and that's the way you get to God. Sure, 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 sure. That's all fine and good. But if you really want to be accepted by God, you've got to keep all of the Old Testament. You have to be really, really good at keeping the rules. And that includes dietary restrictions, and that includes uh, celebrating all these festivals and those types of things. So that's why the Apostle Paul in verse 16 says, listen, don't let anyone judge you based on what you eat or drink. Those are the dietary restrictions. And don't let anyone judge you based on these religious festivals, such as the new moon or the Sabbath day. Again, those are referring to the Old Testament. But then the Apostle Paul says something really profound. Watch what he says in verse 17. These, okay, what are you talking about these? The dietary restrictions, the festivals and celebrations, the holidays, the Old Testament law, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, he says, is found in Christ. Some of you have different translations. It says these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what Paul's saying, okay? Paul is saying, now, if you, if you, if you missed everything I just said, if you just tuned out for the past five minutes, I just want you to catch this one thing. Here's what the Apostle Paul was telling these guys. He was saying, listen, don't chase the shadow and miss the substance. Right? Don't, don't make this celebration, these feasts and these celebrations, about feasts and celebration. Because those are shadows of a reality which is to come. That is the person of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul is saying, the Passover feast is not about the Passover feast. The Passover feast is a foreshadowing. It's not just about remembering something that God did. It's about foreshadowing something that God will do. It's a shadow, but the substance is Jesus. The Sabbath, the law, the things in the Old Testament, they're all good things. They're great things. But the substance, the ultimate thing, is found in Jesus Christ. And so what he says is, look, look, don't chase the shadow and lose the substance. Don't make these holidays and these celebrations about the holidays and the celebrations because they're about Jesus. So don't miss the substance. Now, now some of you are thinking, well, okay, that's interesting. But how does that relate to us? Because my guess is that for most of us in this room, you're not practicing Jewish festivals and feasts. Some of you might be. If you're a Jewish person or if you grew up in a Jewish family, you might still practice some of those things. And if you do, you probably know more about it than I do. Uh, But my guess is for most of us here in 21st century America, most of us, we don't practice Jewish festivals and feasts. So what does that have to do with us? Well, here's what it has to do with us. I think that those two verses contain within them a universal truth 
that has direct implications for us, specifically as it relates to Christmas. Here's what I mean. During Christmas time, it is so easy for us to make it about so many other things, to focus on so many other things and completely miss the substance of the season. It is easy for us to chase shadows this time of year, to make it about all kinds of other stuff that have no substance and totally miss the substance of Jesus Christ during this time of the year. Now, now, now the question then becomes this. So how do we, how do we, first off, how do we not lose the substance of the shadow? How do we keep ourselves from chasing shadows? And then the last question I want to kind of deal with today is, what do you even do with a shadow? What do you do with it? And how does that help kind of direct you? And so my hope is, again, that today we can start processing helpful ways and and, and healthy ways to process the Christmas season. And I think that a good place to start is here. The whole shadow to substance conversation. And so to kind of help answer some of those questions, and again, to tee up the conversation, I just want to look today briefly at three characteristics of shadows. I think this is going to help us process the the analogy that the Apostle Paul is giving us here in the book of Colossians. So just three characteristics of shadows. We'll kind of talk about that, okay? So here we go. Here's the first one. Three characteristics of shadows. The first one is this. Shadows, and this is going to sound really, really profound, shadows are unable to do anything. I know, right? That's all you need. Let's pray. You guys can go home, right? No, no. So, so this might sound like a really elementary and simple truth, but I think this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Let me show you what I mean. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, for the law possesses a shadow of the good things to come, but not the reality, not the substance itself, and is therefore completely unable by the same sacrifices offered continually year after year to perfect those who come to worship. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is what the Apostle Paul was just saying, and it's the point that I'm trying to make right now. And that's this, shadows can't do anything. They're completely unable to do anything bad or anything good for you. You can't cling to a shadow. You can't contain a shadow. You can't hug a shadow. You can't talk to a shadow. I mean, you could, but you'd look crazy, right? Why? Because shadows can't do anything. There is a whole slew of YouTube videos out right now that if you just go to YouTube and you type in children and animals afraid of their shadow, you will get hundreds of hits of small kids and of animals that are terrified of their shadow. And if you watch these videos, which you should, they're pretty funny. If you watch these videos, you'll notice they have millions of views. Why do they have millions of views? Because it's funny. It's funny to watch these kids terrified of their shadow. It's funny to watch these animals terrified of their shadow. Now, is it funny because the kid is terrified? No, 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 that's not why it's funny. Is it funny because the animal is terrified? Is that what we like to watch, animals that are tortured and and terrorized? Well, that's partially why it's funny, but that's not the main reason it's funny. The reason it's funny is because we know there's no real threat that's, that's imposed on them. There's no real threat. They're not in actual danger, right? Why? Because we know just what the writer of Hebrews knows, that shadows are completely unable to do anything. Now listen, if you want to know one of the ways to identify a shadow during this holiday season, one of the greatest ways that you know you're dealing with a shadow is that it can never fulfill the hope in which it promises. It's one of the ways you know you're dealing with a shadow. It's a symptom. It's a characteristic of a shadow. If you chase after something and you chase it and chase it and chase it and then you finally get it, and when you finally get it, there's a letdown because it didn't deliver the way that you hoped it would deliver. Listen, you know why that happens? 
because it's a shadow. Shadows are completely unable to do anything for you. This is part of what I think is behind the whole Christmas hangover thing. It's because we chase and we chase and we chase. If I just had, if I just had, if I just had the perfect family, if we just, everyone just got along, if I just had that gift, if I just had, and then we finally get it, and at the very end, we're like, why is that? It's a shadow. It's a shadow. One of the ways that I think you see this in, um, in movies, for example, is, it, you know, you guys probably know one of the most popular Christmas movies of all time is The Christmas Story. Great movie. In fact, I think they made a play out of it recently, a Playhouse Square um, and those type of things. But you guys know the movie, right? So Ralphie is the main character in the movie Christmas Story. And the whole movie is him asking for this one gift, right? Every time people ask him what he wants, he tells his mom, he tells his teacher, he tells Santa. The one thing that he wants is what? A Red Rider BB gun, right? And so he has these fantasies and these daydreams about what it would be like if he had the Red Rider BB gun. And these fantasies are just so extravagant, right? He imagines protecting his family with this Red Rider BB gun. And he's got these, these, just these amazing elaborate fantasies. But every time he tells people he wants a Red Rider BB gun, they tell him the same thing, right? What do they tell him? They say, you'll shoot what? You'll shoot your eye out. The whole movie, you'll shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out. And then at the end of the movie, you guys remember what happens? He finally gets the Red Rider BB gun. And he opens it up and he's so excited. He takes the gun and he runs outside to shoot it. And the very first shot that he makes, what happens? He shoots his eye out. It ricochets off of something. It comes back and hits him in the eye. And all of a sudden, unbridled expectation slams into reality. And the thing that he wanted so much now hurts him. And he eventually puts it away, right? And he's like, well, I guess that's kind of it. And listen, that's one of the surefire ways you know that you're dealing with a shadow is that when you chase it, you chase it, you chase it, you think it's going to give you something, but then in the end, it leaves you hungry all over again. It's a shadow. And one of the things I think that's it's helpful for us to be able to identify shadows during this holiday season, not, not because they're bad. Shadows are awesome. Enjoy them. The family, the, feet, the, the food, the presents, the, the whole thing, man. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. But listen, it cannot bear the weight of your hope. It can't. Enjoy it, but don't set your hope in it because it's a shadow and it's not substance. It's completely unable to satisfy you in the ways that it promises it will. It's one of the ways you know you're dealing with a shadow. That's the first characteristic. Here's the second characteristic, equally as profound as the first. Second characteristic of shadows. Shadows can be distracting. Shadows can be distracting. So if you think about it, um, not in a metaphorical way, but just in reality, shadows can be distracting, right? Because they take on the form of substance, because they have the illusion of substance, it can be distracting. And so, for example, if you're looking at something and you see a shadow in your peripheral vision, it can be a distracting thing because it has the illusion of substance, because it has the form of substance, it can cause you to look at it. In the same way, when we talk about this idea of shadows, one of the characteristics of shadows is that they can be distracting. Because they can be. They don't have to be, but they can be distracting. Because they have the appearance of substance, because they look like something that you can cling to, oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can make the holidays all about chasing the shadows and we can completely miss the substance. One of the things I've noticed in, um, in, with the human heart, and I guess I really can't speak for every human heart, I can really only speak for mine. So one of the things I've noticed about my heart is that I have this, this proclivity that if something can satisfy my immediate needs, that I am inclined to make that my primary pursuit. 
that if something could help solve my immediate problems and help satisfy my immediate appetites, that I am inclined to make that the focal point of my energy and of my effort. And, 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 and this is why I think in our culture, I think many of us are inclined this way. I think this is why in our culture, for so many people, the primary pursuit in life that we go after is the accumulation of money and of wealth. Why do we do that? Well, because money and wealth, it's, it's indisputable. Money and wealth have the ability to help satisfy many of our immediate needs and many of our immediate desires. You can't deny that, right? So for example, if I had a stack of cash back here, let's just say I had a briefcase with a million dollars and I just came out to you and said, hey, Merry Christmas, here's a million dollars, which by the way, just because it's not happening, all right? So get over that. But let's say I did that, all right? Like here's a million bucks. My guess is, in fact, I know this, that many of your immediate needs and many of your immediate problems would go away. That would solve many of your immediate desires. So for some of you, your debt would go away in a hurry. Your mortgage payment would go away. All your Christmas shopping would be done, all with that one gift. It would satisfy so many of your immediate needs. And so because of that, I think so many people in our culture chase after the accumulation of wealth as their primary pursuit in life. But the problem is this, all of us know that while wealth can satisfy immediate needs, it can never satisfy our ultimate needs. It can't. We hear story after story after story about people who have made it their life's investment to pursue the accumulation of wealth. And once they've gotten to the end, they've looked back and said, it wasn't worth it. In fact, I'm worse off now that I have it. I was better before I had all this stuff. There are countless stories about those type of things. And you see, what can happen is it can be distracting because we think, man, that's my, it can fulfill my immediate needs, but it can't fulfill my ultimate needs. And if we're not careful, these things can distract us. It's not that money's a bad thing. It's just that when you make it an ultimate thing, it, you're going to miss out on the substance, right? I think this is why in the same, uh, kind of on that same, in that same vein, I think this is why sometimes we glorify sexuality in our culture. Listen, it is indisputable that sex brings immediate gratification. You just can't argue that. It's true. But if you make that the primary pursuit of your life, if that becomes the focal point of everything is to gratify every sexual desire that you have, you're going to find that that doesn't lead you to freedom. That's not going to fulfill the ultimate need that you have inside of you. And so listen, it can be a distraction sometimes. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. I think this is why Jesus over and over again in the New Testament, when you read the New Testament, one of the things that you notice is that Jesus is always trying to draw our attention away from our immediate needs onto our ultimate need. Do you ever notice this? He's always trying to do that. Why? Because Jesus knows that, that, that these things are just shadows of a greater thing, that there is substance available. One of the examples that comes to my mind, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter six, do you guys remember this scene? The Bible says that Jesus is teaching to a large crowd. There was 5,000 men in this crowd, the Bible says, and uh, commentators speculate that if you include women and children, there's probably about 15,000 people there. So it's like an arena full of people. And Jesus is teaching, the Bible says, and as he's teaching, he realizes that they haven't eaten. They're all hungry. And so Jesus takes a little boy's lunch, performs a miracle, multiplies the fish and loaves, and feeds everybody so much so that they have food left over. And the Bible says when Jesus feeds that large crowd, you know what happens? The crowd goes crazy and they all start to worship Jesus. And the Bible says they try to take him by force and make him their king. 
And they were so impressed with the fact that Jesus had met their immediate need that they wanted to worship him and they wanted to focus all their energy on him because he had supplied for them their immediate needs. But Jesus saw right through it. You guys remember what he did? Jesus walked away from them and he tried to hide from them, but they all came and found him. And then when they found him, Jesus looked at him and he said, the only reason you're coming after me is because I fed you food yesterday. And then he says something really profound. He says, listen, don't work for food that spoils. I am the bread of life. You see what Jesus is trying to do? He's saying, listen, you're coming to me because you want me to satisfy your immediate need. And that's not the only reason that I came. I came not simply to satisfy your immediate needs, but I came to satisfy your ultimate needs, your deepest needs. That the hunger that you feel for food is simply a shadow of the spiritual hunger that you have in your soul. And I'm the only one who can satisfy it. Jesus was basically saying to them, the food that you want from me is temporary food. It's gonna leave you hungry again by tomorrow, but I wanna give you a food that you're never hungry again. The food that you want from me is food that might sustain life for a few more days, but the food I wanna give you is gonna endure into eternal life. And so he was always trying to get people off of the immediate and get them onto the ultimate. And basically what Jesus was saying was this. He's saying, listen, don't chase a shadow. Don't chase a shadow when there's substance here. Don't miss it. Not that, not that shadows are bad. Shadows aren't bad. They're fine. Food is a good thing, right? Those things are good. Sex is a good thing. They're all, those things are created by God. But when you elevate it to an ultimate thing, then you miss out on the substance that lies behind it. So Jesus said to the crowds, I am the bread of life. And the Bible says that that huge crowd of 15,000 people dissipated because they were too focused on their immediate needs that they missed out that Jesus was offering their ultimate needs to be satisfied in him. One of the ways that you know you're dealing with a shadow this Christmas is because it's completely unable to do anything for you. Here's another way you know you're dealing with a shadow. It can distract you. It can become a distraction. It doesn't have to, but it can become a distraction. What I mean is this. You can get so caught up in, in, in this Christmas season. There are so many things that offer us immediate gratification, that offer us immediate satisfaction right? And so having the family all together, man, listen to the Christmas songs, go and shop at the Black Friday deal. All of those things promise this immediate satisfaction, getting the right gift, going to the right place, you know, enjoying the right food. All of those things are awesome. But listen, they can't, they, can, they don't have to be, but they can be a distraction because they can cause us to look at the immediate and miss out on the eternal. Because these things, the gifts and the presents and the family and the celebrations, They only last this season. Come January, come February, they're gone. But the substance lasts all year. And not just this year, but next and next forever and for eternity. And so we don't want to miss the substance to the shadow, right? That brings me to my last observation. And then we're done. The last characteristic of a shadow that I want to point out, and I think this is the most important. So we said shadows are unable to do anything. Shadows can be distracting. And here's the last one. Shadows anticipate substance. Shadows anticipate substance. I love this. Think about this for a minute. You cannot have a shadow unless you have substance. It's impossible. By sheer existence of a shadow, it necessitates, necessitates that there is substance nearby. Because you can't have a shadow unless there is substance. They're interconnected. They're interrelated. And so when there is a shadow, what do you do with the shadow then? That's the question. So what do you do with a shadow, right? Because a shadow is unable to help you. A shadow you can't cling to. A shadow you can't contain. You can't put your hope in a shadow. So what do you do with a shadow then? 
Do you just dismiss it? Do you just ignore it, right? Is that what you do? Is that what you do this Christmas season with the shadows? Do we just ignore them and dismiss them and say, oh, the whole family thing and the gift thing and the Santa thing, that's not what Christmas is about. That stuff is dumb. And so just love Jesus and worship Jesus and stop being happy because the reason for the season is Jesus, right? Is that what we do? Do we just ignore the shadow and dismiss the shadow? No, 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 no. That's not what you do with the shadow. That's not what you do with the shadow. What do you do with the shadow? Listen, you can't cling to it, but here's what you do. You ready with the shadow? You follow it. You trace it. Because the mere fact that there's a shadow tells you that there's substance nearby. There's something real that's close by. When you see a shadow, my guess is you do what any logical person does. You do the math. And you say, oh, here's a shadow. That's going to point me to substance. There is something real. That's, not some, that, that's an illusion. That's something I can't put my hope in. But there is substance nearby. That's what a shadow communicates. So think about it this way. I'll give you kind of a silly analogy. Uh, it's the best I could come up with. Hopefully it's helpful. But here's my analogy. I want you to imagine with me just for a second that you're stuck on a desert island, okay? And so did you guys ever see the movie Castaway? You guys ever seen that before with Tom Hanks? All right, so I want you to imagine that's you, okay? You're Tom Hanks, unless, unless you're a girl, then you're, I don't know, you're like Tom Hanks, but you're not. And so you're on this desert island, okay? And you're, you're like the movie Castaway, you're stuck. And you've been there for, let's just say, two or three years. You're stranded on this island. You've pretty much resigned yourself to the fact that you're not gonna be rescued, And so let's just say that now it's been several years and you're really lonely and you're starting to lose your mind, right? You have a volleyball and you you named it Wilson. It's your best friend, just like in the movie Castaway. And you're sitting there on the beach one day and you're tired and you're malnourished and you're probably dehydrated. You're just sitting there on the beach and you're looking at the sand and you've pretty much lost all hope. Let's say one day, just randomly, you see a gigantic shadow of an airplane just fly right past you on the sand. Now let's say a minute later, you see that same shadow go in the opposite direction, right past you. And then a minute later, it goes past you again. Now, what are you going to think? Well, I know what you're going to think. You're going to think what I would think if I was in that situation. I would think, man, I'm saved, right? Someone has come and they have found me, right? Now, now again, this is a silly analogy. How dumb would it be if when you saw that shadow of the airplane, the first thing that you did was got up on your feet and started running after the shadow, just started chasing it. And then when you got near it, you just dove on it. Right? Just tried to grasp the shadow and instead just went right on the sand. How dumb would that be? It'd be really dumb. We all know that's dumb. Why do we know that's dumb? Because we know a shadow can't do anything for you. A shadow's unable to save you. It's unable to rescue you. It's unable to get you out of there. But does that mean you dismiss the shadow? Does that mean that you ignore it? No. You wouldn't dismiss it and ignore it. You'd be like, oh, stupid shadow. I'm going to get back to whatever I was doing. No, you're going to follow it. You're going to do the math. And you're going to trace the shadow on the ground to the substance in the sky. And you're going to say, there's the substance because the substance can save you. The substance can rescue you. The substance can bear the weight of your hope because it's real, right? And so listen, this Christmas season, here's where we want to go in this series. Here's the big idea. This Christmas season, there are a lot of shadows, family, gifts, Santa, presents, all of it. It's all shadows. We want to put our hope in those things, right? And what do you do with a shadow? Do you ignore it? No, don't ignore it. Do you, do you, do you, just, do you just denounce it? Stupid shadow. Is that, what you do for, is that what we as Christians do for Christmas? It ain't about Santa. It ain't about gifts. It's about Jesus. You know, I'm going to put lights on my house. Christ in one color, mass in the other, right? 
Is that what we do? That's not what you do with the shadow. You follow it and you trace it because the, the mere fact that the shadow exists means its substance is nearby. And so in this series, what we want to do is want to help us as a kind of as a church, as we process through Christmas, we want to do the math together. Do the math. How do these shadows find substance in Jesus? And how do we make sure that this year we don't chase the shadow at the expense of the, of the substance? So for example, in the series, we want to talk about stuff like this. So how does the hope of wanting to see peace in our families and peace on earth, how does that, a shadow of a greater reality that is found in Jesus Christ, how is Jesus the substance to that shadow? We want to talk about that because I believe that that desire that we have to have peace in our family, that desire that we have to, to, to have our family get along, finds its substance in something that Jesus Christ did for us. Find substance in Christ. How does nostalgia, that feeling that we get of longing for a home that we once had but has since passed, what does that have to do? What does that shadow have to do with the reality that's found in Christ? I want to talk about that because I believe, this is going to sound really weird, but I believe that nostalgia actually has a lot to do with Jesus. You're like, what are, what are you even talking about? That's why you got to come back. Right? Uh, or we want to talk about how does stuff like the desire to want to believe in something magical, like stuff like Santa and 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 and, and the desire for something that's so awe-inspiring and so wonderful that it, it requires faith to accept it. How is that a shadow of a greater reality that finds the substance of Christ? Because believe it or not, I think the whole Santa thing actually has a lot to do with something in our heart that has to do with Jesus. And so as we go through this season, what we want to do in this series is we want to help do the math to trace the shadow to the substance. And this year our prayer is that we wouldn't lose the substance to the shadow. So you need to come back for the next weeks as we process through some of these things together. These things are a shadow. Christ is the reality. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to pray in a second. The band's about to play a song that uh, they picked out that really has a lot to do with this whole conversation. And as they play this song, I'd encourage you just to think through the lyrics, pray through the lyrics and maybe talk to God. Talk to God. And even if you're a person that maybe you've never prayed before, maybe this is the first time that you want to pray. And maybe you could just ask God this. I just would dare you to pray this. Even if you're a person who you're not sure you believe the whole Jesus thing, you're not sure you accept the whole church thing, you're not even sure what you believe. I just want to challenge you. Would you just simply pray this during this song? Would you pray, God, if you are real, God, if this is all true, I pray that you would show me the substance and help me not get caught in the shadows. Because all of these things, all of the desires of our heart, all the things that we long for, all the things that we're tempted to put our hope in are not substance. They're shadows. Christ is the reality. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much for your words to us this morning. The book of James says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And so because of that, God, that means that we should not worship the gift but we should worship the one who gives gifts. Behind every good thing in this life, behind every celebration, behind every family gathering, behind every wonderful memory, behind all the nostalgia, behind all of it, all of it, all of it, the desires of our heart, the thrill of hope, the thrill of excitement, behind it all is the giver of gifts. These are all shadows. The substance is found in Christ. And so Jesus, I pray that this year as we process through Christmas, that we wouldn't miss the substance to the shadow. 
Help us, God, through your grace to enjoy the shadow, to have fun with the, with the, with the, with the good stuff that we experienced this year, but not at the expense of missing the ultimate reality that's found in you. So guys, we go through this series. We pray for your grace. We pray for your insight. And we ask that you would lead us where you want us to go. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.